0: This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more audiobooks and other content, please visit reconstructionistradio.com. Book title, Church Shift. Author, Sunday at Elijah. Published by Charisma House. Copyright 2008. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 2. The Kingdom-Minded Church. The decision to stand up to our government was not our first effort to reach our nation for God, but it was the most dramatic to date, and it became a watershed moment for us and for the entire nation of Ukraine. We had very good reason to believe our lives were in danger. The last time any group had gone to the streets in such massive protest was a few years before and people had been shot, so we proceeded very carefully. We requested permission from the city to gather. The city denied us permission. We tried every angle we could to conform to the law, but we were stonewalled. Opposition from within the church also increased. Many people wrote letters of resignation. Others loudly opposed our plans. They wanted to remain at the level of safety and influence we'd always had, but God had spoken. If we did not move forward down this difficult avenue, the kingdom would stop advancing through us. We could not let that happen. On Monday, November thirteenth, two 2003, 3,000 members of our church took the bravest step of our lives and marched on City Hall. We took buses to the city center and walked a kilometer to City Hall. As we flooded the streets, traffic stopped. Commerce all but halted. Nothing could move. There was an unexpected surprise. The Prime Minister of Turkey was visiting that day, and the country's capital was paralyzed by a church group. We were rejoicing, blessing everyone in sight, carrying big banners, celebrating and singing praises. The government was embarrassed to have this incident during a state visit and wanted to avoid national disgrace. We arrived at City Hall and held an outdoor meeting. We prayed for the government, then spoke to the leaders through a megaphone. We elected you. You are supposed to serve us. So we are blessing you, praying for you. Don't be against your own people. I appealed to them to extend the lease on our land or provide us land to build on. But the city hall building remained quiet. Nobody came out. In an atmosphere of growing tension, we wondered what their response would be. Does God really care about nations? Many people in today's church have a hard time believing that God cares about nations and societies. They think he is solely concerned with individuals or with his chosen people. But the Bible is very clear. God wants to redeem nations. His redemptive work on the cross is for nations as well as individuals. That's why he said to go preach the gospel to all nations and to disciple nations. God eagerly awaits the redemption of the nations. Throughout the Bible, God's nation focus is clear. In a significant passage in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God uses interesting language to describe the nation of Israel. He calls it, quote, "my son, my firstborn." End quote. It is instructive that God uses a first-person description for a nation. Normally, son refers to an individual. In Malachi 3, verse 17, God did it again, speaking through the prophet that he would spare Israel, quote, as a man spares his own son who serves him, end quote. I believe God is teaching us about his attitude towards nations. In his eyes, nations are not just some abstract entity. Nations are as tangible and precious to him as individuals. If God saved the nation of Israel, his firstborn, Logically, he wants to do the same for all other nations, which are his children. Israel was the beginning of a global campaign. God wants preeminence in all things in every nation. Jesus promised in Matthew 24, verse 14, quote, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, end quote. He wants to adopt as sons all nations, not just individuals. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18-20, to 20, he gave, quote, all authority in heaven and on earth to the disciples to be used to disciple nations, not just individuals. There will be no end to the increase of his government, says Isaiah 9, verse 7. Have you ever wondered why God has such great respect for man's governments? Why does he teach us to obey and respect them and submit to their authority? If God is only concerned with saving individuals, why doesn't he tell us to simply ignore man's systems of rule? The reason is that government is God's idea. He has a government of his own, and he wants men to rule justly on the earth in their own governments. God created governments as systems of justice for himself. He wants to administer the earth with justice through kingdom-minded leaders. Even if the government is being administered badly, It is still a God-ordained institution. That's why Paul said in Romans that every government is from God. As kingdom people, we are not allowed to ignore governments because they are established by God and are part of His plan for this earth. Our purpose is to make those governments act justly and according to all kingdom principles. Church reformers like Martin Luther in previous ages had this national focus. They wanted to bring nations to their knees before God. But today, too many Christians have scaled back their ambitions. It's time to be ambitious again. It's time to shift our churches. Until the children of the Almighty God act like His representatives on the earth, nothing will change in our countries. It does not matter how big our churches get or how wealthy they become or how beautiful we build them. The destiny of your land is in the hands of the church and her willingness to declare the position of God in the society not of this world? Some people object to this teaching and quote John 18 verse 36 where Jesus said, quote, my kingdom is not of this world, my kingdom is from another place, End quote. Christians have been using this phrase out of context for decades to forfeit this realm to Satan and neglect their calling to the nations. If his kingdom is not of this world, then we have no real assignment here except for evangelism and individual personal development. The hard work of restoring nations to the kingdom doesn't matter. These people turn Jesus' meaning on its head and twist his kingdom message into an anti-kingdom message. Let's consider this passage in context. Pilate was quizzing Jesus about the source of Jesus' authority. He asked him, quote, Are you the king of the Jews? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me, End quote. John 18:33 and 35. In response, Jesus said that his authority and assignment came from heaven, not from earth. The Jews could not make him a king. God the Father already had. Because men did not give Jesus his authority, they could not take it away from him. He was operating with orders from a superior kingdom. That's why he said, my kingdom is not of this world, Does this mean he did not care about the earth? Of course not. The opposite is true. He came to earth to bring the kingdom of God back to it. He cared about the world enough that he left a superior place and brought the superior principles of that place to a corrupted sphere. He wasn't saying he didn't care about the world, but that the world's kingdoms are not the source of his authority. Jesus' kingdom has everything to do with the earth and humanity, but it does not derive from them. Quote, the one who comes from above is above all, end quote. Jesus said in John three thirty one, He operates from above. So should we. As followers of Jesus, our kingdom is not of this world, but that kingdom should rule this world here and now. Jesus specifically prayed that we would not be removed from the world. John 17. Jesus also said to occupy until he returns. Luke 19 13. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 and Luke chapter 11 verse 20 say the kingdom is at hand. It's here. It's now. It's what our lives are supposed to be about. And Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 says his kingdom will crush all others. The real focus of every Christian's life and of all our church activities is promoting the kingdom of God in every sphere of our nations. This was humanity's first mission, and it remains our primary mission, our unchanging mission. Our kingdom mandate predates the birth of Christ by thousands of years. God created this earth for mankind to rule. God said, quote, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground, quote. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God gave us this corner of the universe to reign, just as he is reigning over the universe. Adam was created in the image and after the likeness of God to rule the earth. He fellowshiped and communed with God. He dressed and kept the Garden of Eden. The glory of the kingdom was present in the Garden of Eden, and men were to multiply it. But when mankind sinned, we lost the glory of the kingdom. Catastrophe came to every sphere of life. But God had a plan in place to restore the kingdom to earth as originally planned. Isaiah and Habakkuk prophesied that the glory of God would cover the earth again. Isaiah 40 verse 5, Habakkuk 2 verse 14. That possibility returned to us with the arrival of Jesus, whose primary assignment was to restore the kingdom by restoring man's original purpose to us. The kingdom solves all problems. That's why John the Baptist said it was good news, Luke 3:18. The thing that was lost was coming back. Through the second Adam, Jesus, God's original plan is being carried out to have an earthly sphere entirely ruled by kingdom principles. Think of it this way. When God created Adam, he put all nations in one person. All people who have ever lived came from Adam. You and I were in Adam. We share his DNA. His sin became our sin through inheritance, Romans 5. God created a seed of a second Adam so all of us could become righteous through him. In Jesus, God the Father put the ability to restore all nations. Jesus carried the redeemed nations in him, spiritually speaking. That's why he could die for all nations, not just the Jews. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, Romans 5, verse 12. God offered as a sacrifice His Son, Jesus Christ, in order to redeem the power and the authority from Satan and return dominion over the earth to man. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Romans chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. God now expects us to move in the authority and power that Adam was originally given. We don't need to keep on looking at ourselves as if we are still not redeemed. No, we are back in Eden. Jesus said, quote, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, end quote. Matthew 28:18. Everyone who comes to Jesus and repents of his sins acquires the holiness, righteousness, power, and authority of Jesus Christ. He has transferred to us, his disciples, this power that he won back. That's why God calls us earthly kings and priests, because we are called to deliver this planet from evil, Revelation 5, 10. God will not supernaturally spread the kingdom because that would rob man of his purpose. Spreading the kingdom is our job. The redemption of our friends, family, communities, and countrymen literally depends on the actions of the church. If the church doesn't start fighting corruption, it will keep flourishing in the country. If the church doesn't object to immorality, society will keep sliding more and more toward lawlessness. God wants the church to become the standard bearer of order and righteousness in every country. As the Apostle Peter wrote, quote, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 Salvation has made it possible for us to rule as Adam did. Big Ambitions That's a big ambition, and any church that is focused on winning its nation to God has big ambitions indeed. But a church that is not focused on discipling nations exchanges big ambitions for small ones without even realizing it. Many churches think they are stretching themselves by building a new sanctuary or youth wing or buying a church bus, but God's ambitions are vastly bigger. He is sending Christians to impact entire societies. The promise of God is that we can ask him to give us the nations, not just a bigger church building. Sometimes my minister friends in America tell me how God is blessing them by increasing attendance at their church and granting them all sorts of earthly blessings. They tell me they're believing in faith for a thousand more members, a new car, a television show, and so on. I say, If you want to use your faith to get a new car or more church members, fine, but I'm using my faith to subdue and change a nation. There is nothing wrong with houses and earthly blessings, but those things are just tools. Some Christians become satisfied with the tools, but the real reward is nations. God wants to make many of us greater than we ever thought we would be. Our ambitions need to match the size and scope of Christ's ambitions in coming to earth. Did the only begotten son of God humble himself and come here to be violently and brutally murdered, hung on a cross, despised and mocked, then come back from the dead and preach and teach for 40 days just so we could be prosperous and have emotion-stirring praise and worship times and pass out colorful leaflets and set up clever websites? All while people around us are depressed and committing suicide, spreading AIDS, dying of hunger, wrecking the planet, and much more? I think not. I want to challenge you to lift your faith from small satisfactions. God will do more than pay your bills. That's what the Gentiles think about. God doesn't even call that a reward. Those things come automatically with salvation. Our ambition must be much bigger. We are part of the body of Christ whose members are called to restore the kingdom of God to earth. The reward for seeking God is influence over a sphere of society so people can be rescued from the horrors of sin and evil. Anybody who walks in obedience to God has the right to ask for nations to be restored and given into his hands, and that very much includes you. The time has come for us to remember the cross and the big ambitions Christ has for this planet. It is time to shift our thinking from hiding in church to ruling our promised lands for the glory of God. It's time for Christians to come into their inheritance, to discover their promised land. It's time to act, knock, and seek results. The time has come for the kingdom of God to be manifested so that the nations will follow God. It is time to stop thinking of ourselves as occupying the bottom step of the social ladder. It is time to stop lying low. It is time to stop seeking redemption from influential people like politicians or tycoons. It is time to see ourselves as instruments in the hand of God. We are neither small nor insignificant, but God's messengers. He sees in you the destiny of your family, your friends, your co-workers, and your nation. For a long time the church has taken care of itself only, but the time has come to take responsibility for every sphere of society. From our circle of friends to our families, from our workplace to our city councils and schools, from sports and the arts to politics and business, today the church needs to bring peoples and nations out of the desert where they have been wandering. The kingdom of God is God's total answer to man's total problem. It is synonymous with God's will and ways. When He says, "Your kingdom come," Luke 11:2, it means through you and me. We are to walk in power. Every gift and talent we have is to be exercised in service of the kingdom. Believers need to start social organizations and charities that will become strong social movements that captivate people's attention. We need to find effective ways to serve the homeless, the troubled, the orphan, the beaten, the addicted, the criminal, and the helpless. God is waiting for us to take action. We don't have the moral right to be indifferent. God doesn't want a passive church. One day, our own nations will be judged. God will send some nations to hell, as it says in psalm ninety one verse seventeen quote "The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God end quote. Let us work with all the skill and passion we have so that our nations will be saved. As our church waited in the city square for the government's response to our protest, I could feel that change was coming to our country. We had cracked the ice. The deep freeze that had encased millions of souls for generations was beginning to thaw. Finally, the mayor of Kiev came out of the building to address us personally. This was a wonderful surprise. He spoke through the megaphone and said the city would provide several hectares of land for us to build on they would give us the land for free a five million dollar value in return we promised to clear people from the streets so normal life could resume in kiev we had won a great victory but we would soon discover that in a country like ours victories like this could be short-lived there was even greater turmoil to come than we had ever dreamed And God was about to put us on the vanguard of a much bigger movement than we had bargained for. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 2. Number one, God eagerly awaits the redemption of the nations. Number two, God wants preeminence in all things in every nation. Number three, until the children of the Almighty God act like His representatives on the earth, nothing will change in our countries. The destiny of our countries is in the hands of the church and her willingness to declare the position of God in the society. Number four, the real focus of every Christian's life and of all our church activities is promoting the kingdom of God in every sphere of our nations. Number five, if the church doesn't start fighting corruption, it will keep flourishing in the country. Number six, A church that is not focused on discipling nations exchanges its big ambitions for small ones without even realizing it. Number seven, if you want to use your faith to get a new car or more church members, fine, but I'm using my faith to subdue and change a nation.